So for our sermon this morning, uh, our main passage is going to be Luke 23, 32 through 43, but we're going to get to that a little bit at the end in a moment. Let's start with prayer as we look into God's scriptures. As we've been going through this series, Lord, we've been looking at the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. And what are the marks of that on us? Open our eyes to what you have for us, what you call us to be and do. And we ask this in your name. Amen. So as I've been saying, we understand the importance of our own blood. I know I need my blood to live. Um, I protect my blood. I don't like to get cuts. And But I also give my blood. We have a blood drive coming up. This coming up Friday. Um, sometimes we give our blood, and and um, because as the Red Cross tells us, my blood can save one person. But we're looking at the blood of Jesus as we approach Easter, because the blood of Jesus saves the world. We've also been looking at church history, the the, the history of the stigmata. That's when a person shows on their body body the marks of Jesus's uh, crucifixion. Um, some of this is taken from verses out of context, like 1 Peter 2.21 and 4.1. It's not considered a miracle, but it's, it's a curiosity in church history that maybe you want to know something about. And the person we're looking at today is Rita of Cassica. Um, she received the stigma about five years before the end of her life. And unlike other people who received like, the stigma in their hands, uh, she actually received the stigma of the wounds of the crown of thorns. Now, let me tell you a little bit about her life. Rita was a child bride. She was married before she was 12 years old. But uh, she held on to her values that she was taught as a Christian by her family. But the family she was married into uh, had been in a, in a blood feud with another family. It was so famous that the, the feud was called La Vendetta. And so she influenced and uh, her family, her husband especially, who it was actually a violent man. He insulted her and, and uh, physically abused her. Uh, he committed infidelity. But through her uh, actions, her humility, her kindness and patience, um, he became a better person and he renounced this vendetta feud with his other family. But as time went on, uh, he, her husband was betrayed and that other family killed him. That he was stabbed. Um, but here's the thing. At his funeral, Rita gave a public pardon to her husband's murderers. So what does it really mean to have the marks of Christ's blood? Rita's true marks of Christ's blood was not the, the crown of thorns that, that seemed to appear on her head. Her marks of the blood of Christ on her was that she was a woman of peace and forgiveness. She, she brought reconciliation. Reconciliation is the restoring of right relationship, and that's, that was her true mark of Christ's blood on her. And that's the fourth mark we're looking at of the mark of Christ's blood on me. Reconciliation, restoring of right relationships. So, as we went to last week, now we're getting into the crucifixion story, uh, the narrative in, in the Gospels. 
And like with the scourging, the Bible doesn't give us a lot of details, and neither does history, on crucifixion. Um, crucifixion was known to the audience that these Gospels were written to. So the writers didn't necessarily see the need for explanation or graphic details. You know, Matthew twenty-seven twenty-six just says about Pilate, he released Barabbas to them, and then having Jesus scourged, handed him over to be crucified. It doesn't say what crucifixion involved. It's assumed that the audience knew what crucifixion was. Mark 15, 15, very similar. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them, and having Jesus scourged, handed him over to be crucified. And Luke uh, 23, 32 and 33, which we're going to get into a little deeper later, but this is where we actually find out, okay, Jesus was actually crucified. He wasn't just handed over to be crucified. Luke 23, starting verse 32. Two others, criminals, were also led away to be executed with him. When they arrived at the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. So we know Jesus was actually crucified, and the details they give us are not about how crucifixion happens, but details that we know that Jesus was actually crucified because he was taken to a certain place, and there were other people being crucified with them as well. But what's not there, the text does not say the soldiers took Jesus' hand and they took a nail and they drove it through his wrist. Um, a lot of old paintings will have the, the nail marks going through the hand, but uh, forensic evidence tells us that it had to go through like the wrist bone so, so the weight of the body could be held up. You know, the Gospel writers don't go into those, what would be for them, mundane details. But we do know that Jesus did have the wounds from the Bible, but it's not till after his resurrection. In John 20, verses 25 and 27, um, the disciples are telling Thomas, We've seen the Lord. But Thomas says to them, If I don't see the marks of the nails in his hands and put my finger into the marks of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. So then when Jesus appears in verse 27, he says to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. So we know from after the resurrection that Jesus actually was pierced in his hands and his side. Because Thomas apparently knew that's how you did it. And Jesus, when he appears, still has the marks. So we're going to talk about Jesus' hands today. And first thing I want to look at is Jesus' hands when they are free. When they're loosed. Jesus' hands free. You know, people, hands are important. People wanted to touch Jesus. Um, when Jesus is walking through a crowd, uh, a woman with a bleeding disorder, she wants to touch Jesus. She just wants to touch his clothes, the edge of his clothes. And and when she did, she was healed. And, in fact, many people did that. Matthew 14, 26 tells us, as many as touched his robe were healed. So people wanted to get their hands on Jesus. But let's look at all the people Jesus touched. Matthew 8, 6, Jesus touched a man with leprosy. Matthew 8, 14, Jesus touched Peter's mother-in-law who had a fever. Jesus touched blind men's eyes on multiple times. We see that in Matthew 9, 
uh, Matthew 20 and Mark 8. Jesus, at the Mount of Transfiguration, he touched his disciples when they were afraid. So they wouldn't be afraid. Mark 5, 23 and 41 says that Jesus touched a dead girl. And then she was resurrected. Mark 7, 33, Jesus touched a deaf, mute man's tongue. Jesus touched the coffin of a widow's son. Luke 7, 14. Uh, there was a woman in the synagogue that had been bent over. Jesus touched her and she was healed. Luke 13, 13. Both uh, Mark 10 and Matthew 19 says that people would send their children to Jesus and he would touch them and give them a blessing. Mark 6.2 says that there were many miracles performed by his hands. In Nazareth, he laid hands on a few sick people and they were healed. And anyone who had diseases, Luke 4.40, he laid hands on them and they were healed. Jesus blessed his disciples with his hands. Jesus did a lot of stuff when his hands were free. Now, we also know Jesus could heal with just his thought, with his word, but he did a lot of stuff. He touched, physically touched a lot of people with his hands. And all these people that he touched were outcasts or untouchable, in some cases, from society. You didn't touch somebody with leprosy. They were unclean. You didn't touch a dead body or you would be unclean. Jesus... Jesus' touch didn't just heal their physical illnesses. Jesus' touch brought these people back into right relationship with their family and with society. That's reconciliation. Jesus' touch brought people back together. You know, if you've grown up in church or been in church, you, know, you might know there's different types of churches as far as greetings. There are handshaking churches and there are huggy churches. Uh, in California, the last church I was at, we were, we were a huggy church. Uh, this current church is more of a handshaking church. Um, I, I would hope after this uh, coronavirus thing goes through that maybe we become more of a huggy church. Yeah, touch is important. Uh, we know medically that touch is important. Um, in the NICU, neonatal intensive care unit, um, even though these small babies need to be sometimes isolated and be in these chambers so they can have oxygen and stuff, doctors have realized it's important for these babies to be touched. Babies will thrive if they are touched and held. And I think people still need that. You know, we're in this time of social distancing for health reasons. But let's not forget that when this is over, and even, even now when we're dealing with our own family, the people that we're isolated with, people need physical touch. Sure, wash your hands first. But people need touch. I need touch. You need touch. You know, ask yourself this morning, who in my family have I touched today? When we are released from this quarantine, this stay-at-home order, who will I touch? 
And will I make a point to touch someone who other people might think is untouchable? That last one's especially important. Will I make a point to touch someone who other people think is untouchable? So that's what Jesus did with his hands, when his hands were free. But when we get to the crucifixion story, Jesus' hands are no longer free. First, Jesus' hands are tied. We have three verses that tell us about how Jesus' verses are tied. First, when they arrest him, John 18, 12, the company of soldiers, the commander, and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus and tied him up. Okay, Jesus is tied up physically, probably with ropes. And then, uh, amongst the various trials that he has, he gets to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. And John 18.24 tells us this. Then Ananias sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Sent him bound. So he's still tied up. Now here's something interesting. In, if you go to Jerusalem, we know where the house of Caiaphas, the high priest, is. You can visit that in Jerusalem. And you can go down into the basement area. And one of the things that's there, it's, it's all rock. It's basically, you feel like you're in a cave. But dug into the walls and the ceilings, there are these holes that kind of go around. And these holes are quite obvious what they're for. You put a rope through those holes, and then you tie somebody up. That's where Jesus' trial took place. He was probably tied to the ceiling or to a wall. So, of course, when they punched him, he was like a punching bag. So he was tied up. His hands were tied. And then one more, uh, now with Pilate, Mark 15, 15, a verse we covered last week, wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. After having Jesus flogged, he handed him over to be crucified. So here's, here's the thing about scourging, just real quick. Sorry about the phone thing. Um, Scourging involved being stripped naked and then tied up. So Jesus was tied up there too. I don't know if you ever heard the phrase, my hands are tied. Maybe you say that. That's what we say when we have or at least believe that we have limited choices or no options. My hands are tied. There's nothing I can do. You know, I, I'm really into Star Trek, and, and in this latest uh, uh, rendition of Star Trek, Star Trek Picard, he says this to somebody. To say you have no choice is a failure of imagination. To say you have no choice is a failure of imagination. Think about Jesus. Jesus' hands are literally tied. But he is about to do something great. You know, our hands have been tied for the last few weeks. I've blown this up. This is a copy of a, of a card, and this is on my Facebook page, and I've emailed it out to people in my church. Um, it's a, it says, hello, if you are self-isolating, I can help. Not everybody can do this, but some, some of us can. It's a place for your name, it says where you live, and your phone number. And it says, if you're self-isolating due to COVID-19, I can help with picking up some shopping, a friendly phone call, posting mail, urgent supplies. Just call me or text me and I'll do my best to help you for free. 
Somebody was creative that came up with this. I know we're supposed to be staying at home, but for some people, staying at home means they will lack. Our hands are tied, but that doesn't mean there's nothing we can do to help others. So, let's get to our main passage today, Luke 23, 32-43. And I'm going to read this out. This is the crucifixion of Jesus. Two others, criminals, were also led away to be executed with him. When they arrived at the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals. One on the right and one on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, because they do not know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots. The people stood watching, and even the leaders were scoffing. He saved others, let him save himself, if this is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also mocked him. They came, offering him sour wine, and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription was above him. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Are you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him. Don't you even fear God, since you are undergoing the same punishment? We are punished justly, because we are getting back what we deserved for the things we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. We've seen what Jesus did with freed hands. We've seen that they tried to tie Jesus' hands. Now let's look at Jesus' hands pierced. This was prophesied. Psalm 22, 16-18, the psalmist writes, For dogs have surrounded me, a gang of evildoers has closed in on me. They pierced my hands and my feet. We're going to talk about the feet on Easter. Verse 17, I can count all my bones. That's the scourging. People look and stare at me. They divided my garments among themselves and they cast lots for my clothing. When they are doing this to Jesus, as he's fulfilling this prophecy, and they've pierced his hands and feet, and they've scourged him, and they're mocking him, and they're gambling away his clothes, what is he doing? Jesus reconciles people to God the Father. Verse 34 of our Luke passage, Jesus says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. They are actively crucifying him. They are making fun of him. They are spitting on him. They are gambling for his clothes. And Jesus uses what life he has left, what strength he has left, to ask God the Father to let these people be in right relationship with him. And then he does it for somebody in particular. He reconciles the criminal to himself, Jesus does. This criminal, who the other gospel accounts tell us had been previously making fun of Jesus and mocking him just like everybody else, he comes to his moment of decision at the end of his life. 
he looks at his own sinfulness instead of looking at everyone else. And he chooses Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Jesus forgives him. He promises that forgiven criminal that he's going to be with him that very day in a place of paradise. The pierced hands of Jesus are reconciling people. Now, our local church congregation, Hartwood Church, we're considered what's called a revitalization work. Think of it like this, if you don't know what that is. We are a church that's been in existence for over 60 years, but right now we are functioning like we are a new church plant. We are starting a new life cycle, hopefully with new, you know, we're not getting rid of our old people, but we are trying to bring in new people and do new things, you know, start, start a new life. And like any church plant, revitalization is often a work without the resources that we'd like. You know, we have limited choices sometimes. And then you add to that the restrictions of a pandemic. But, you know, I've been praying just as Ezekiel 14.5 puts it, that God recaptures our imagination. Because here's the thing, through all this, God's doing great things in my life. God's doing great things in my relationships. God's doing great things in this local church. And God's doing great things in this community. There is a bad virus going around right now. But I don't see the world changing for the bad right now. People are doing good. So, two things... I want to speak to to those who call themselves Christians. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ already. You know, some of us have been worried about our right and our command to gather together for worship. Let me address that in two ways. One, first, the Bible doesn't prescribe that we have to get together in a large of a group as we can, all in one building. That's not prescribed. That form of worship, where all the Christians that can get together all in one building, that's not historic Christianity. That's historic Christendom. Okay, Christendom is Christianity as a political force, not Christianity as a movement of God. So, the Bible doesn't prescribe that we all have to get together in one building in as large a group as we can. But more importantly, think about this. The last revival in the United States was the Azusa Street Revival. That started in a Methodist church in 1906. And it's ended about 1915. 1906 to 1915. I would say the church in the United States has been a church gathered or gathering since 1915. 
Now is not the time to be gathering. Now is the time to be unleashed, church. Stop worrying about gathering. I need to figure out how I'm going to be serving. How do I and my local church bring the sick and the isolated and the marginalized back into right relationship with society and back into right relationship with God? I'm not worried about gathering. I'm worried about going. And to those who haven't yet placed their faith in Jesus as Savior, I have a message for you. The pierced hands of Jesus restored more relationships than his freed hands ever did. The pierced hands of Jesus can put me in right relationship with God. And if I'm in right relationship with God, then it's that much easier to get myself back in right relationship with other people. I invite you today to take the pierced hand of Jesus in faith and be reconciled. You know, just as Jesus said to Thomas, reach out your hand to me. Don't be faithless. Believe. You know, the last part of the crucifixion story is Jesus ending this day by putting his life in the hands of God the Father. He said, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. And today, I ask everyone to put your life into the pierced hands of Jesus. Let's pray. I'm going to pray from Psalm 31. The psalmist prays this prayer. Be gracious to me, Lord, because I'm in distress My eyes are worn out from frustration. My whole being is worn out. My life is consumed with grief and my years with groaning. My strength has failed because of my sinful choices and actions. My bones waste away. I'm ridiculed by my enemies and by my neighbors. And I'm dreaded from my friends. When people see me in the street, they run from me. I'm forgotten. Gone from memory like a dead person, like broken pottery. I've heard the gossip of many. Terror is on every side. I think people are plotting to take my life. But I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. The path of my life is in your power. Rescue me from the power of my enemies, from my persecutors, and make your face shine on your servant. Save me by your faithful love. 
but a prayer so relevant for today. Lord, today, into your hands I commit my spirit. If that is your prayer today, that today you want to put your hand in the pierced hands of Jesus and say, Jesus, you are Lord. You are my salvation. I want to be with you in paradise. Just express that to Jesus right now. And please say something in the comments of the video so I know so I can reach out to you and encourage you. And if you are just living in fear, Again, put your life in the hands, the pierced hands of Jesus. He will save you. Amen.